What's up, G-Captain listeners? This is John Conrad with another edition of The Real G-Captain Podcast. And today, we're going to look at some new science that can explain why ships crash at a certain hour of the day. We all say out in the ocean that the most dangerous hour in shipping is from 2300 to midnight. Why? Because on most ships, the third mate, the brand new third mate, does the 8 to 12. And the 2000 to 2400 watches. And the captain usually falls asleep by 11 o'clock. Leaving the brand new third mate up on the bridge alone. But this new information says, hey... Maybe that actually isn't the most dangerous hour in shipping. Maybe we have it all wrong. But first, I want to talk a little history. And I like to read history backward. John Boy, the greatest fighter pilot, trainer of all times, is the person I learned this tip from. I love history. I'm a history buff. Not so much ancient history, and I never really got into tall ships and sailing ships, but I like modern history. I like steel and steam and engineering and technology. And so earlier this year, after reading John, the excellent book uh, about John Boyd, which I'll link to in the notes, He suggested reading history backwards, so I went back and I started rereading some maritime history, starting with today and going back. And I hope to go back all the way to Robert Fulton and the first steamship. Why? Why do you? Why is it important to read history backwards? Well, if you read it forward, from like we all did in school. You learn about all the things that have changed, all the technologies and tactics and things that have changed. But the problem is a lot of those changes are wrong. Take the Civil War, for example. New machine guns were developed and it created amazing levels of casualties in Civil War. And then... World War I came, and did we learn from those mistakes, all those casualties? No, we doubled down. Finally, trench warfare, and we did poison gas and all these terrible things. So if you're reading it forward, you learn about this, and you go, oh, this is great. The poison gas really was effective in some of these battles. But then poison gas was dropped. No one's really used poison gas to a great extent in battle since World War I. It's a terrible idea dropping poison gas in battle. Now, if you read history from today and go backwards, you start noticing the things that have stayed the same in all great battles, all great victories, all great shipping successes or whatever part of history you're looking at. And that's what's important, the things that have stayed the same despite technology. So in reading backwards, Right now, I'm, I'm at World War I, and I, I just started it off with Sal Mercogliano, a 
history and engineering professor in Kings Point. He has this great article on seahistory.org right now. And it's titled, We Built Her to Bring Them Over There, the Cruiser and Transport Force in the Great War. And he talks all about marine transportation and the Merchant Marine in World War I. Go right now to National Maritime Historical Society at seahistory.org right now and read Sal's amazing article, which got me into this World War I thinking. And it's funny, once you start thinking about one certain topic, all this new information comes up. Well, the two most important events in World War I, most historians agree. And I'm sure Sal will write me if, uh, if I got this wrong. But most agree that the first most important event of World War I was the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria on July 28, 1914. I'm not talking about Franz Ferdinand the band, although I like them. I'm talking about Franz Ferdinand the man who was shot. It brought together this domino effect of all these nations and anger and hostility and resulted in World War I. I'm not going to go into that in the podcast. But I am going to go into the next important date of World War I. And this is the date where the table started turning on the Germans. And many historians agree that that turning date was the sinking of the Lusitania. Now, the Lusitania was one of the most amazing ships ever built at the time. And I encourage you all to go out after you've read the Boyd book and after you've read Sal McCugliano's amazing article, you can read Dead Wake, The Last Crossing of the Lusitania by Eric Larson. And it talks all about how the sinking of this passenger ship was the critical moment in the war because it dragged the United States into World War I. Without the sinking of Lusitania, America might not have joined World War I, and the maps today around the world could be very different. So, what does this have to do with ships today? What lessons can we learn from history? Well, here's the thing about Lusitania. No one is 100% sure why it sank. Well, we know the cause of the sinking. At 1 p.m., be to the captain and crew, German U-boat commander Walther Schweger spotted the ship, and the next hour, he shot it with a torpedo. At 2.10 p.m., a German torpedo ripped into the starboard side of the Lusitania, tearing open an immense hole. A geyser of seawater erupted, raining shattered equipment and ship parts on the deck. Minutes later, one boiler room flooded, then another. The destruction triggered a second explosion. Turner was knocked overboard. Passengers screamed and dived for lifeboats. Then, just 18 minutes after being hit, the ship rolled in its side and began to sank. Nearly 1,200 people perished in the attack. 
including 123 of the 141 Americans on board. The incident escalated. World War I rewrote the rules of naval engagement and later helped draw the United States into war. But what exactly took place that May afternoon a century ago remains something of a mystery. Two inquiries in the immediate aftermath of the attack were mostly unsatisfying. During the last century, journalists have pored over news clipping and passenger diaries. The captain survived the attack and he was questioned and historians have looked at everything he's written and said and the testimony he gave. Divers have probed the wreckage searching for clues about what really happened. Authors and filmmakers continue to produce books and documentary that blaze with speculation. But the truth is, no one really knows why the Lusitania sank. And specifically, a couple of strange orders given by the captain that day, William Thomas Turner. Now, the part I just read is not from Dead Wake, Eric Larson's amazing book. It's from Daniel Pink, who wrote the book, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Now, Pink is a, like Larson, is a best-selling author, has released millions of copies of his books. But Pink wanted to start with this book that was released this year, wanted to start a whole new genre of books. One of the most popular section of books today is the how-to section. How to cook, how to be a better person, how to be a better lover, how to be a better captain, how to be a better leader, all these how-to books. Pink has written how-to books in the past, but he didn't want to write a how-to book this time. This time he wanted to write a when-to book, and he launches this new segment Brand new. I mean, this is just coming out this year, guys. This is brand new segment of the book industry. And as an author, I could say this is a big deal. He wanted to launch this whole new segment with his book one and page one, chapter one of the book is the story of the Lusitania because it remains a mystery. The two things Captain Turner did that day made it a lot easier for the Germans to shoot a torpedo at the Lusitania. Lusitania. Sorry, it's a difficult word to say sometimes. One thing that he did was he executed what's called a four-point bearing, a maneuver that took 40 minutes rather than carrying out a simpler bearing maneuver that would have taken only five minutes. And because of the four-point bearing, Turner had to pilot the ship at a straight line rather than steer a zigzag course, which was the best way to dodge U-boats and elude the torpedoes. So that's one thing he did. Why did he steer a straight line? He was coming into port. His compass is important, and he wanted to make sure it was correct, but that put him at amazing risk. And the second, even bigger decision is prior to the attack, the morning of the attack, Turner reduced the ship's speed from 21 knots, which is way faster than any U-boat at the time could go, but he reduced it from that speed, 21 knots, all the way down to 15 knots because of fog, which is fine. I mean, there was not radar in World War I. If the U-boat couldn't see you, they couldn't shoot you. So it made sense. The problem is that when the fog lifted, Turner could spy the shoreline in the distance. He didn't go back to the max speed of 21 knots. Instead, he ordered 18 knots. 
And it may not seem like that three knots of difference could make a huge difference, but it did allowed the U-boat to slowly catch up and shoot Lusitania with a torpedo. So despite Turner's testimony and despite everything that happened, no one could answer the question of why. Why did he make these two decisions, which in hindsight were pretty dumb? In, in hindsight, dragged an entire country into a world war. Why did he make these decisions? And the conspiracy theorists go crazy with this one, saying that he sabotaged on purpose under orders of Winston Churchill, who was the head of the Navy at the time, to drag America into war. And even crazier theories are out there. But Pink's got another theory. Now, he doesn't have proof on this theory, but it's an interesting theory. And what Pink says is that we all have a cycle of competence, a circadian rhythm. He says how we manage our brain's function. We wake up in the morning and we're groggy and we, then we have our cup of coffee and we quickly rise in level to our peak levels of competence. He says you should do anything that requires brain work and analytical study and real thinking in the morning because that's when we are at our peak cognitive levels. And I keep talking about cognitive levels in this podcast because I think it's important and I don't think it's talked about enough in the maritime circles. Cognitive performance is critical. If you want a quick boost in cognitive performance, go back and listen to my Bulletproof Coffee podcast. But Pink shows, and there are tons of studies and statistics and facts that he backs this up with. Like the example of at a hospital, the malpractice rate in surgeries, death caused by incident, drops. It's high first thing in the morning, then it drops from like 9 o'clock to lunch. Then after lunch, it triples. So if you're going into surgery or a loved one goes into surgery, make sure it's scheduled in the morning, guys. You have a three times better chance of success if major surgery is scheduled in the morning. Not too early, but in the morning. So everyone's cognitive performance starts out low, quickly rises by 9 o'clock, maintains to lunch, and then what happens? We have lunch, and then it falls off a cliff, goes down, and from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, it's at its low, sometimes till 3 o'clock, and then it slowly kind of steadies off there till around dinner time, and then it slowly rises. We're happier in the evening. The problem with the Lusitania is the timing, the question of when, in all of these books and investigations and reports, no one asked the when question. It said, how did the torpedo sink the, the vessel? How did the construction contribute to it? How did the captain arrive at these decisions? How was the evacuation executed? But no one asked this question that Pink says is critically important, the when. It was 1 p.m. in the afternoon when the German U-boat commander, Walter Sweger, spotted the ship. And it was 1.45 that Captain Turner, master of the Lusitania, damn, I'm getting it wrong again. <laughs> Lusitania made the inexplicable decision to not go back to full speed at 21 knots, but instead go to 18 knots. 
So this brings me to my final point, according to Daniel Pink and all the research and studies, and he says not just doctors in emergency room and triple death rate between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. You have three times bigger chance of dying in an emergency room if your surgery is in the early afternoon. But he looked at SAT scores and statistics and there's a huge drop off in scores of people who take the SAT in the early afternoon. So according to Daniel Pink, in his new book, When the Most Dangerous Hour of Shipping is Not 2300 to Midnight When the Third Mate is Alone on the Bridge, although that is still a little dangerous in my opinion, but it is in fact 1300 to 1400 or 1300 to 1500. When we get back from that greasy lunch in the galley and we are just at our emotional lows. And if you don't believe me, there's a very easy thing that you can do, according to Pink, to test this out. And just get one of those calendar books or print one off online. It doesn't have to be a full book that lists every hour. 0600, 0700. And just every hour, write down what you're doing, how you feel, and how engaged your brain is. So do you feel happy or sad or... And on a level of 1 to 10, how engaged do you think your mind's moving? Does it feel slow and groggy or does it feel a max performance? And he'll, he says, you'll get this bell curve or a rising curve to 1 p.m., steep drop off till 2, 3, and then it'll slowly start rising again as the evening progresses. This is Captain John Conrad with another edition of the Real G-Captain podcast. Tomorrow I'll be traveling to Providence, Rhode Island for the SNAMI conference, the Society of Naval Architects and Mechanical Engineers. GCAM's going to have its first trade show booth at the conference in Providence, Rhode Island. It lasts till Saturday. So if you're in the Northeast this weekend, Friday, Saturday, come up to SNAMI and meet me yourself. Bring some of my books and sign them. We're going to have some merch there, some giveaways. So please come up and say hello. Until the next episode. This is John Conrad, Fair Winds and Following Seas.